0: I'm glad to see you this morning. I was away last weekend. If you were gone, you didn't know that, did you? But uh, I'm glad to be back. It's nice to have a vacation. When I look around and see so many missing this morning, I know where they're at. They're gone. I hope they're not home playing hooky. I hope they're probably on a vacation somewhere, but we miss them. But it's that time of year, and we know that. We understand that. We pray for their safety as they travel. But it's good to have you this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I want to talk to you this morning about God's path to the good life. One of the things we have to understand, that as believers, if we're to know the joy, the meaning, the peace of God, then we have to walk with God. We have to be close to God to experience those things. Now, the devil tries to sell us a bill of goods. The devil tries to convince us that the happy life is not walking with God, but living in rebellion to Him, uh, satisfying whatever sinful desire may pop in our heart and mind. That's what He tries to convince you of. But God's word's very clear that's not a happy path, that's not a path of peace and satisfaction. How do we find that purpose? And what does God have to do? One of the things I want you to understand is that in God's eyes, you are too precious to turn loose. And you are too critical in your mission to abandon. You see, not only has God saved you to make you what you can be, God has a mission for your life. A mission that will touch the lives of others and draw them to Christ. It may be your children. It may be your grandchildren. It may be a co-worker at work. It may be a child that is a friend at school. But God uses us to help point others to Him. Our mission in life is critical. Because without you, how will He touch that person? He's intending to touch through your life. So you see, our holiness and our godliness is significant. Now listen to these verses carefully. Chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He says, listen, the world is watching you. The world is looking up to you. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful man so that you, will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, that's what happens to us. We get tired of fighting the good fight. We get tired of trying to do the right thing when the world's doing the wrong thing. We get weary and we throw in the towel. We give up and quit. He said, consider what our Lord has been through that we might become His instrument, that we might become His children, that it might inspire you. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, he says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone who he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our Father disciplines us for a little while as they thought best. But listen to this now, it's very important. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What's the end result? The end result is a good life. The end result is a life of peace with God and peace with life. Have we found that peace? God will do in you what he has to do so that he can do through you what he needs to do. We need to understand that. When a small child runs out in the street, what does a parent do? Well, he calls out and says, come back, don't do that. And if they do it anyway, what does he do? What does she do? Probably they spank them on the bottom. They do whatever it takes to get their attention, to awaken them. When I say don't do that, you can't do it. Now, why is that important? Because automobiles and children don't go good together when they're making contact, right? At the moment... In the eyes of that child, you may seem like the meanest thing on two feet. Am I right? But you have done it because you love them. They can't understand that yet. This is not to say that all of Christian troubles are chastisement. They're not. There are a lot of things that happen in life, like in the life of Job. They come into our lives unexplained. Without explanation or even warning. Determining whether some of the hardships that happen in our life are a discipline of God or just a part of the experiences of life is something that we can't always decide. When it happens to someone else, it is not up to you and I to say God is disciplining them because we don't know. It's the best time to keep our mouth shut and let the sufferer and God figure it out from themselves. But the questions I want you to think about this morning is when does God discipline us? For what are we disciplined? God told Israel in Leviticus 26, 28, listen to this verse. When you walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you in fury, And chastise you myself seven times for your sins. Now, what I put on the board would be a little different in translation. What's he saying? God says, when you walk contrary to me, then I'm going to have to discipline you when we run in rebellion. Is that for every sin? We're in trouble, aren't we? No, not for every sin. When we walk in the light of the blood of Jesus, he cleanseth us from our sins. When we sin in ignorance, God doesn't discipline us. When your child turns his elbow and accidentally knocks the drink over on the table, do you beat them for it? Well, if they're playing, you might spank them. But if they just accidentally do it, what do you say? Don't worry about it. It's an accident. Accidents happen, Right? So it is with God. There are times in life that you and I make wrong choices. We do things that are not right. In our ignorance, we sin against God. But the blood of our Savior cleanses us from that sin. And God forgives us, not for every sin. When does God discipline us? When we sin with knowledge and determination. What does that mean? I believe there lives a rebel in all of us. There's something about that fact that all of us have that tendency to rebel against God. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Do you have that spirit? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. There's a rebel in all of us. We don't even like God telling us what to do. And he knows better than we'll ever know about what's right. So many times we say to God, I'm going to do what I want, whether you like it or not. That's when God disciplines, when we sin, if you will, with knowledge and deliberation. We do it intentionally before God. Folks, it's hard to forgive someone when they hurt us with malicious intent. God will discipline us when we rebel intentionally. The Bible says, Grieve not the Spirit of God whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Literally, what that means is simply this. It breaks the heart of God when we choose to ignore His direction and sin intentionally. It breaks the heart of God. Secondly, God will discipline us when we sin without repentance. Now, what, is, what does the Bible tell us to do when we realize we've done something wrong? If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you for your sins. But what happens when we don't repent? We look at God and say, I know it's wrong, but I don't care, and I'm going to do it again. When we refuse to repent, we experience the punishment of God. Sin brings sorrow and shame, but these are prods to repentance. It's God trying to move us forward to cleanse our lives. David's sin brought such terrible price, possibly... Because he refused to repent. He would lose the child of his act of adultery. Not because of the adultery. Not even because of the murder. But I believe because he refused to repent before God. And because it brought such a terrible witness to the people of Israel. God did what he had to do. And he awakened David through that experience. When we sin without repentance... God has to discipline us. When we refuse to grow, I believe God disciplines us. Those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. So be zealous to repent. Revelations 3, 19. When we refuse to grow as we believe. Lord, I don't want to grow. I'm not interested in the Word of God. I'm not interested in church. I've quit praying. I've quit sharing my faith. I'm just going to kind of stay stagnant and stay where I'm at. God will discipline us if we don't make effort as believers to grow and mature that we might be usable in the kingdom of God. God wants you to develop. There's no joy and happiness in a life that never grows, that never develops, that never matures as a believer. Folks, we can't be content just to come and get a little dose of God every week. We need to have a desire in our heart to grow in our walk with Him. Let me tell you something. If we don't pray, we will be driven to prayer by adversity. God will get you to pray in one way or the other. If we do not feed on the Word of God, we will be driven to the Word of God to find shelter in the storms of life. He'll bring you to his word because he knows you need it to grow and develop. Let me tell you something, guys. You can't teach your kids if you haven't learned it. If we don't purge our lives of sin and indifference, the great physician will surgically remove it. God is going to clean up our act whether we want him to or not. He does it because He loves us. If we don't have fruit, our branches will be pruned. Now what does that mean, guys? It means if you want the fruit to grow bigger, you cut off the old dead limbs. You cut off the weak limbs. You remove that. What God removes from your life and my life are those sinful things that are going on that we haven't taken out of our life. It may be a habit of profanity that we hadn't given up yet. It may be a habit of immorality that we haven't gotten under control. It may be a habit of just being dishonest and lying. A thousand and one things that stand between us and God. If we refuse to grow, God will prune it from our lives. You say, but how does God discipline us? What does he do? First, there are the effects of sin itself. In Jeremiah 2.19, the scripture says, Your wickedness will chasten you and your apostasy will reprove you. Now, what does that mean? It is the effects of sin. God, without lifting a single finger, tells us that sin always brings its consequence. No matter what that sin is, it always brings its consequence. Be sure your sin will find you out. If you play with fire, what? You get burned. That is the result. For the drinker, it may eventually be his liver. The body can only tolerate so much alcohol without the body suffering the consequences. If we are sexually Active outside of our marital relationship. It may be the consequences that can come from that. It may be a broken relationship. It may be the disease that often follows. Our sins always have a way of coming back to us. If it's dishonesty in our marriage relationship. Or unfaithfulness. There are the effects of sin itself. If you persist in sin, you may well see the day that your sons and daughters will follow suit. David did. David saw his son Ammon become guilty of adultery, just like David did. David saw his son Absalom become guilty of murder, like he did. God also saw his son David become guilty of rebellion, just like he had. You see, they follow oftentimes the examples we set before them. He who teaches godly and lives godly builds with both hands the lives of those who follow us. But he who teaches good and lives sinfully builds with one hand and tears down with the other. Which will it be? How does God punish us? There are the effects of sin itself. Secondly, there is a withdrawal of salvation's blessings. In Psalms 51, in verse 12 and following, he talks about the loss of joy. One of the things that happens when we get away from God, we lose the joy of being saved. There is a misery that comes with sinful rebellion. We have a loss of assurance. I've run into a lot of Christians through the years and say, well... You know, I'm not so sure about my salvation. Why? Because I'm so far from God. There's the loss of that sense of assurance that comes in walking with God. There's a loss of guidance. When we walk hand in hand with God, when trouble comes our way, we know that if nothing else, now listen to me, God has a purpose for it because we're walking with God. But when hardship and trouble comes our way and we're living outside the will of God, we're doing what we know is wrong. And guys, we're on our own. We're on our own. It is hard enough to face the difficulties of life realizing that God is with us. But what about when He's not? There's a passage found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. There's a man in the Corinthian church who is living immorally with his stepmom. That's pretty bad, isn't it? That's pretty bad. And the bad thing about it is the, the Corinthian church saturated with the environment of Corinth and all of its immorality. Thought, Hey, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And Paul writes to the church and he shares with them what God says. And here's what God told him to say to the church. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. What did he mean by that? He said, You're just going to have to turn him loose to the consequences of sin in an effort and in a prayer that God will awaken them. It's a terrible thing to live outside the will of God and experience the consequences. There's the pain of life's self-inflicted trials. When we turn our back on God, certain things happen. There's an example in the Old Testament, a lady by the name of Mary. She was Moses' sister. She was the one that protected the basket that baby Moses was in when they were killing all the children. She was his older sister. She was a caregiver. But as she went with Moses, as Moses led the people of God into the wilderness, Miriam, one of the three great uh, figures in that story, became jealous of Moses. And she turned to Aaron and she says, Aren't we two leaders of Israel? Why don't the people follow us instead of him? And she began to talk bad about Moses and his wife. And God struck Miriam. Miriam. With leprosy, it was temporary because God, through the prayer of Moses, forgave her. But he did this to awaken her to the fact of her sin and her jealousy. Guys, it wasn't just that she attacked Moses, the servant of God. It was that by doing so, she was undermining God's ability to lead his people through his servant. There is the pain of life's self-inflicted trials. In Corinth, there were believers who when they had the Lord's Supper drinking real wine, they got drunk. In church. Can you imagine that? Being drunk in church? You know what God did? To awaken the church to this new experience. He took their life. Took them home to heaven. That was the way God disciplined such sinful behavior. Life is hard enough inside the will of God, but when we face disease and death and grief, but it's ten times harder outside the will of God. Fourth, there is the withdrawal of God's best. I think one of the saddest things is to have a relationship with Christ, to know the Savior, And let the devil convince us that the happiest Christian life is to just know I'm going to make it through heaven's gate. Barely, but I'm going to get in. So I'm going to just live for the devil while I'm on earth. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. The devil can convince you that's a happy path. But you're going to find out that's a horrible road. There's no joy there. There's no satisfaction there. There is a withdrawal of God's best. You see, when we rebel against God many times, we miss. Now listen to me carefully. I'm going to be through in a moment. But when we rebel against God, we miss God's best plan for our life. Have you ever seen one of those shows where they have alternate endings? You following me here? And it's saying, you can hit this button and you're going to get this ending at the end of the movie. Or you can hit this one and you're going to get this ending at the end of the movie. There are times in life I believe we've hit the wrong button. And we're headed toward the wrong ending that God intends for our life. We miss His best. Now don't mistake in me. No matter how far we wander from God or how far we get away from God. Now listen to this carefully. We can start over. That's the beautiful truth. We can start over. We may have missed God's best in the past, but we can start over from this point on for God's best for our future. In our wanderings, we may have missed it, but we have the opportunity to restart and find God's best for the rest of our lives. Let's think about it for a moment. When does God punish us? When we sin deliberately. Intentionally. When we sin without repentance and when we simply refuse to grow, God has to discipline our life to get us back on track. How does He punish us? With the effects of sin itself. Simply allowing sin to follow the course that it will follow. By withdrawing His blessings and by the pain of life's trials, God disciplines us. I'm going to ask you, are we willing to let the healing begin? Make our commitment, Lord, I want to be all I can be for you. And find God's best for our life. The devil will do his best to convince you, you're missing something. A few years ago, I read a report. About some of the most miserable, drug-infested teenagers in the country and it wasn't in the ghettos it was in one of the richest sections of our country and the reason was is because those kids had it all they had everything in life that money could buy everything in life that money could give them but they had no peace and meaningful relationship with God Joy is not getting everything you want. Joy is finding purpose in life and fulfilling it and knowing that God is pleased with us. That's where the joy is at. It's not in rebellion to God. It's in walking with God and discovering what He wants to do through your life. Let's go to the Lord in a Be with us, Lord. Challenge our hearts and our lives. Help us to discover your plan and your purpose. Lord, help us to realize that it is worthwhile to seek to live for you and to honor you by the choices we make and the lives we live. We ask, Lord, your leadership and your blessing in Christ's name.